this is Mike Dilt with the Relax Back UK show on UK Health Radio, your global real feel-good radio station. On the Relax Back UK show we explore all kinds of health topics, so keep listening and enjoy the ride. And thank you for joining me, Mike Dilk, on this week's Relax Back UK show. Very varied show this week. We start off chatting to Dr. Zoe Williams talking about measles. Whilst a lot of children will get measles and have a respiratory illness and be okay, even healthy children can have complications, which can lead to serious ear infections, can lead to pneumonia, can lead to um, brain inflammation and can be fatal. She reminds us what it is and also how important and easy it is to get a vaccination for it. Then Kenny Butler of UK Active wants us all to be a little bit more active, and he explains how he thinks something called social prescribing might help with this. It's, it's, it's essentially connecting people to the community support uh, that might help them with their health and well-being. So it's not medical it's supportive. It's working alongside GPs. Also, I have a little message for Vladimir Putin. Anyone heard him on the news recently or heard about him on the news recently? I don't expect Vladimir Putin listens to me very often, but maybe some Russians do. Maybe some of his soldiers do. But if you are in a position to pass this on a little bit further towards him where he may hear it, please do pass on this message. Now, this is not about me. I have no experience of the military or of war. I'm not a hero. I don't pretend to be. I'm just one of many millions who think you, Vladimir Putin, are completely beyond the pale. There's no chance of anyone invading Russia, yet you decided to invade Ukraine. You call it a special military intervention or some such nonsense, but you invaded. It is a war. You gave the excuse to save Ukraine from Nazis. I doubt even your most ardent crony in the Kremlin believe you. And the Ukrainians, if the Ukrainians needed saving, why are millions of them trying to get away from you and fleeing? On the subject of belief, do the Russian population really believe the stories they're being told on the Russian media about the war? Maybe Russian people are too terrified to think too much about it. But Vlad, old chap, the truth will out. The Russian people will find out. All your heavy-handed police methods trying to stamp out truth in the media and prevent demonstrations will not work in the long term. Then, Vlad, bombing and shelling civilians. What are you thinking? Bad enough invading for no reason but bombing and shelling civilians. Bombing and shelling civilians with cluster bombs. Why, Vlad? Have you completely lost your mind? Do you have it some kind of bizarre fake world in your bizarre brain? Vlad, you have created a disastrous mess. Killed many innocents. You need to go. Go soon. Where? Probably doesn't really matter. You just need to go. There's always a lag between uh, my recording 
and uh, the show coming out. So I hope in the meantime, Putin hasn't gone on to do more crazy, awful acts. And I hope that uh, Ukraine can exist peacefully again very soon. UK Health Radio, the station that makes you feel good. How good are vitamin C supplements? Usually only a small proportion of vitamin C actually reaches your cells and has a positive effect. Whereas the high absorption levels of Goldman Laboratories liposomal vitamin C help maintain optimal vitamin C levels in your body and strengthen your immune system. Now get 10% off when you choose Goldman Laboratories liposomal vitamin C capsules. Just quote 10 off at goldmanlaboratories.com. Do you suffer from pain? B-Cure Laser, a home-use CE-approved medical device for the effective treatment of pain, is now available in the UK. The results of a double-blind trial has shown that B-Cure Laser offers a significant reduction in pain compared to the placebo group. To get your special B-Cure offer now, call free on 0808 501 5122 or Google Radio Pro London. B-Cure Laser. B-Cure Laser. The station that makes you feel good. Okay, so moving on, my first guest is Dr. Zoe Williams. I've chatted with her before. It's always an absolute pleasure to talk to her. The topic today is measles and uh, the MMR vaccine. And recently, the UK lost the WHO measles-free status. That's the World Health Organization measles-free status. So I started by asking Dr. Zoe, what have we done wrong? Well, well, over the past decades, we've seen a, a decline in the uptake of the vaccine. So this is a, a vaccine for children. Um, there are two doses of the vaccine, the first one at 12 months, the second one before school, around the age of three years and four months. Um, and we've been seeing this decline. And because of the pandemic, there are for a number of reasons. Um, one of the big reasons is people, you know, not wanting to access NHS services. Um, we've seen that decline further. And the World Health Organization says that we need 95% of children to be vaccinated to give us proper protection from measles. Um, right. And we've seen at the moment one in 10 children are starting school unvaccinated so there's a big campaign from the so we've NHS. got 90 and we need 95 is that it more or less that's it yeah pretty much that's it and it sounds like 90 percent is pretty good doesn't it you know we've been yeah. thinking about covid vaccines for so long but because measles is such a contagious virus much more contagious than um coronavirus we do need that 95 percent of people vaccinated otherwise we start to see outbreaks in schools and in nurseries. Okay, so is, is part of this reason, is, is it the ghost of Andrew Wakefield still causing the, the problem? Because this was an issue a few years ago. Yeah, I mean, that's quite a few years ago, basically. Andrew I'm my age, yeah. was previously a doctor. He no longer is allowed to be a doctor in this country because essentially he told a lie, um, which, which gave people concern about the vaccine. That I don't think it is. So, I think that's such a long time ago now. And I think, you know, sensible people know that that was just one person making up a lie. Um, you know, criminal investigations followed and all the rest of it. 
There are a number of reasons. I think one of the big reasons is we don't, we have, you know, we're a generation of people who haven't seen how devastating um, measles can be. Of course, the MMR protects against measles, mumps and rubella, but it's measles, which is the most thought to be the most dangerous of those infections. Because we've had such a successful vaccination programme, we haven't really seen in our generation what measles can do. We haven't seen it firsthand. Uh, but as doctors, you know, we're very aware that whilst a lot of children will get measles and have a respiratory illness and be okay, even healthy children can have complications, which can lead to serious ear infections, can lead to pneumonia, can lead to um, brain inflammation and can be fatal. Um, and I think right. when we don't see it, we kind of think, oh, it's safe. We don't need to worry about that. It's gone away, yeah. which it kind well, of had. But now we risk seeing it coming back because. Well, I, I suppose one of my questions was going to be, and you've kind of answered it really, does it really matter? You know, you just get a few <laughs> days off school with the odd rash. But well, that's yeah. not the case at all. People, it's, you know, it's people not get the really case Ill. at all. It's not. And, you know, all three infections can cause complications and be dangerous in different ways. Um, but measles can be deadly and it can be deadly to healthy children. And whilst the risk of death is very rare, it is a risk. And, you know, we have a vaccine that is very, very safe and highly effective. In fact, if children have both vaccinations, then 99% of people will be protected against measles and rubella and 88% protected from mumps. So it's effective, it's safe, it's available. You know, your GP will contact you to ask you to, to book the vaccine. And, you know, this campaign is really important, I think really yeah. timely to remind people just how important it is because, you know, at the moment, as lives are getting back to normal, um, and you know, one of the big risks is as people start to travel to the UK again from countries where measles is endemic, there really is this risk that we're going to start seeing outbreaks. And, you yeah. know, with outbreaks, there will be some children who will get very, very sick. So, so in some respects, I mean, this vaccination is a victim of its own success because in yeah. people's minds, you know, measles yeah. is nothing to worry about. I think I think that's right. And, you know, smallpox and polio are diseases that have gone away. We don't have them anymore in this country because of the success of the vaccination programme. Um, and with measles um, and mumps and rubella, yeah, we don't see them in children. We haven't seen them in children for a very long time because we did have that measles free, the World Health Organization's um, measles free stamp because we had yeah. enough people vaccinated and we've lost it. And that's and, a big warning yeah. that. If we've lost it, you know, these conditions, these illnesses will start to rear their ugly head again. But, you know, we have the vaccinations. It's We just need people to, to go and get their children booked in and, and get the jabs. Actually, on that same sort of uh, vein, a, a friend of mine, actually, he's in his 80s now and he walks with a limp. And the mm. reason he walks with a limp is because actually he got polio yeah. when he was a kid. And I, I wonder what he would have to say on this this general matter of, having vaccinations because actually he's one of the lucky ones he's had a limp all his life yeah but um if you got polio uh back in the day uh, yeah. you were lucky to come away with a limp probably it killed an awful lot of people absolutely and there are still some countries um way further afield not in this continent where where polio still children still get polio and it's you know it, it it's it's a shame because we do have effective vaccinations but not all countries have access to the vaccination programs that we have um, so you know the message really is a lot of children may have missed their vaccine for whatever reason um, but to parents 
don't worry if your child's missed a vaccination. Doesn't doesn't matter. Don't worry about it because they can catch up. Um, but if you think your child's missed a vaccine, check in their red book where the vac- full vaccination programme is laid out so you can see what they're missing. Or if you're not sure, contact the GP. And, and if they're missing a vaccine, just get in touch with the GP practice. I know it can be hard to get an appointment, but you will get an appointment for a child of vaccination because we tend to, it's so important that we tend to reserve a certain number of appointments each week, especially for this purpose for children to go in and get their jabs. Right. So is all this information of what vaccinations your child has had, is that held centrally? Because so I, I've got a red, I've got two children. They both had a red book and I have to yeah. admit, um, when I need to find them, I've always, it's always a bit of a panic. Oh God, where's the red book? <laughs> yeah. It's it's the thing that's quite easy to lose. So if you've lost your red book, does anyone know what vaccinations your children have had? Yeah. So we, we hold a record on your, um, on your GP records. So your GP will be able to have a look and see what vaccinations your children have had and when they've had them and let you know if there's anything due. So if you can't find the red book, yeah, get in touch. Get in touch with the GP. Probably the best thing to do is call it a GP practice and ask if you can have a telephone appointment with the nurse. Um, the nurses do most of the child vaccinations. So they'll be able to just have a look and, and inv- advise you. And if, you, if your child's due any vaccinations, they'll be able to book you in. Right. OK. Another, another question about the whole MMR thing um this this is like it's a, it's a cocktail there's there's three vaccinations in one at one time people were having them separately now yes. actually my, my my daughter's 17 and um this this is when she, when she was due her vaccinations all this problem with andrew wakefield etc was kind of very much uh, kicking off now we're not anti-vax at all uh, we'll have any vaccinations that are going um pretty much but we decided to have them done separately, um, which was a bit more difficult because you had to go to the doctor more often. And then the child had three injections, which is a kind of a bit traumatic. Mm-hmm. Um, are people still having them separately? Is it possible to have them separately? Is it a good idea or just completely unnecessary? It is completely unnecessary. Um, the, the three different uh, viruses um, can all be safely contained in one vaccination at the same time. I do understand, I think around that time, the time you're talking, there was this concern because of this individual who told this lie, um, which worried people. Um, but, you know, now it's, it's that has been fully investigated, fully looked into with criminal proceedings and found that without any single hint of a doubt, um, that was all made up. So, right. so and there's there a link no, between MNR, MMR and autism, wasn't it? So that's all all completely false. Completely false, completely put to bed. Um, and that person can't practice medicine anymore um, in this country because of the damage that he did, because that was really, really scary for parents. Um, oh, so now, you know, now we mean, know at the time with, it was, yeah, you, you, you know, you, every single news program had more on about this, this stuff. Yeah, yeah. Um, but, you know, that it's a long time ago now and um, yeah. people have... People can now go online and do their research and find out that there's absolutely no question of a doubt, that there's no concerns, there's no link there. So there's no, therefore, no sound reason to give the vaccines individually. So they're not available individually on the NHS. They're they're combined as as three together, which is better because, I mean, already the child has to have two doses of the vaccine, one when they're 12 months, one when when they're three years and four months. Um, and there is no rationale. So the the only people who may be missing, I mean, I was born in 1980. 
So I was given a measles vaccination. And back then we used to vaccinate just the girls against rubella because the real risks of rubella are really if you contract it whilst pregnant um, and mumps, we weren't vaccinated again. So I actually had to have an, it was only a couple of years ago, I discovered that I hadn't been vaccinated against mumps and working in the NHS. So I actually had the full course. I had the two doses of MMR vaccine myself a month apart, just to make sure that I was fully covered. So, you know, even people who have missed older children, um, even, you know, your children in their teens, if for whatever reason, anyone because of that concern all those years ago, missed the vaccinations they can catch up as well so if you contact your gp practice and say you never had it they can give you one dose and the second dose a month later um which is really important that you know people do that as well to protect themselves and to protect others in in, in those three just mention mumps because i think that's another one that people don't realize actually that can be pretty nasty it can be nasty yeah particularly in boys so mumps is another virus it can cause swelling of the parotid gland so that's in the cheeks so sometimes when people get mumps it can be quite a painful um an unpleasant um illness and doesn't necessarily carry the concerns quite the significant concerns of measles but in in men or in boys it can cause testicular swelling as well which is very unpleasant and problems related to that so again it's it's another virus that can be nasty it can cause complications that we have a really effective vaccine again can can it mean you can't have children in later life actually if you get mumps potentially there is that there is that risk so um potentially that can be a complication so yeah Another one, right. another so thing, get, you know, get the vaccine want to risk. Is, is the summary here. Um, just finally, we, we can't really talk about vaccines without talking about the elephant in the room. That's COVID vaccines. Yeah. How, in, in general, general terms, is take up still good? Is it is good? It is needed at the moment. Well, the, the, the take up of the COVID vaccination has been exceptional. It's been, I think, it's been amazing. Um, the vast majority of people have received every vaccine that's been made available. And we've seen people going to quite extreme lengths, haven't we? Standing outside for hours in the freezing cold um, because yeah, you know, the vast majority of people really do get it. The vaccines are safe, save lives, prevent us from getting ill. And they're not just about protecting ourselves, they're about protecting others as well. Um, but, you know, I do understand that there are still some people who are a little bit hesitant about the COVID vaccine because it hasn't been around for so long. But, you know, now the real world data that we have tells us that it really is a safe vaccine. There's no reason to be concerned. And the risks, even whatever whatever risks you people think or claim may be associated with the vaccination, the risks of getting COVID hugely, if you get COVID, hugely, hugely outweigh them. So I've I've been personally, I think when we first started, when we first introduced the vaccine and I was working in vaccination clinics and having lots of conversations with people who were very concerned about it. um, At that time, I didn't, I I guess I wouldn't have guessed that so many people would step forward and and take the vaccine. So I think we've had good uptake. Good. So all good news. So finally, uh, if, if people back back to the MMR, people want to find out a bit more about checking if if their child has had it, what to do if they haven't, what's a good resource for them to uh, look at? Yep. So to recap, um, it's two doses, first one at 12 months, second one at three years and four months. Um, all the information's on the NHS website. So it's nhs.uk forward slash MMR. 
if you're not sure, check your child's web book. If you can't find that and you're still not sure, just ring your GP and they'll be able to check it for you. Perfect. That's great advice. Zoe, thank you very much indeed uh, for chatting and hopefully chat again soon. Yep. Speak to you soon. Take care. UK Health Radio. The station that makes you feel good. Galar Light is the quantum energy emitted from the universe, from the sun and stars. Now, Tom Palladino, a humanitarian and scalar light researcher, has created the world's only scalar light healing system, a system that can bring long-distance healing and wellness to humans, pets, and plants via a photograph. Get your free 15-day trial now at scalarlight.com or click on the Scalar Light banner on the UK Health Radio website. Shields like masks are top of mind right now. But did you know you have inner armor working constantly to protect you from pathogens? It keeps you healthy and thriving. It's your immune system. Ion Gut triggers the body's natural ability to support gut strength all year long, so your immune system can protect you when you need it the most. How are you treating your inner armor? Visit uk.ionbiome.com to learn more. Ion Gut. Protect what protects you. The station that makes you feel good. The next topic is social prescribing. This is quite a wide topic, including many things. My guest is Kenny Butler from UK Active. I had a great chat with him. At the start, he got a bit carried away with his stats. And he just wanted me to say before this comes on that UK Active has 4,000 members not 7,000, as he said. There are 7,000 total sites in the UK. I started by asking him, what is UK Active exactly? And what do they do? We exist to improve the health of the nation, basically, by getting people more active more often. And um, we, we do that by several in several means, I suppose. We, we provide services and facilities. So we represent the fitness and leisure sector, in essence, Mike. Um, right, so you're, you're the professional body for gyms. And precisely. Yeah. Precisely. That is a, a pigeonholed uh, definition for us, I guess, if we want to go down that road, just for people who, who, who don't know us. But it's, it's much wider than that, what we do. Um, we've got, we facilitate partnerships for a broad, with a broad range of organizations, for instance, to to support that vision of getting more people more active. And anybody who has um, that goal in mind, we will, we will work with them. Um, we've got 7,000 members and partners across the public, uh, private and third sectors, uh, everybody from multinational giants to uh, local community groups to uh, your local authority leisure facilities. And, and, and we work with people around the campaigning of physical activity, um, and providing uh, and, and providing membership services, so it's a unique body. You know, it's right. um, we we deliver a variety of uh, research as well. So we try to create what we know works in a lab with exercise through real life. You know, um, so we have a research institute that delivers that, and and, and we um, we have thousands of uh, personal trainers and exercise professionals out there talking health. So can individuals join? Do, do indivi- can individuals be members? You know, can individual personal trainers be member? 
Yeah, they, it's, it's, it, well, it's mostly organizations, facilities, sure. um, and suppliers. But yes, anybody can be a member of UK Active if they wanted okay. to do that. Um, All right. And so UK Active is kind of having a bit of a push at the moment, maybe not just UK Active, but there is a bit of a push on uh, something called social prescribing. So, you know, what, what's, uh, what's the objective of that? And what's, what's that all about? Yeah, you, you may wonder what we're doing involved in that. Well, maybe I'll just tell you what social prescribing, like, like you asked, what social prescribing is to those who haven't heard that. It, it, it's not that new. I'm, I'm a physiotherapist by background and physios and occupational therapists and healthcare practitioners have been doing it for years. It's, it, it's essentially connecting people to the community support uh, that might help them with their health and well-being. So it's not medical it's supportive. It's working alongside GPs, um, especially people called link workers, really key people in this that are having conversations with people. Who can, and I'm, the people I'm talking about now are people with complex problems, mental health problems, physical health problems. And, and they come to primary care, which is GPs, link workers, or they might even self-refer, but they often have um, complex problems and they need to have some help um, to find out what might work for them, giving them choices and control over their health. And that could be anything from financial help to social linking someone up to help them with their loneliness uh, or physical activity, gardening or dancing or swimming in, in some of our facilities, for instance. And that's why we're involved. Okay. So there, there is um, a bit of a push on this. And I, th I think because the first point of call of a lot of these people is, is the GP um, and kind of the GP is not necessarily the right place because actually they might need to just join a walking group or a, a a, a group that does art or, or something like that. So it's not really a, a, a medical kind of problem, yet it's often the NHS that has to deal with it at the moment. That's right. Did I get that right? Yeah, yeah absolutely. And especially these days, um, there is a huge amount of um, backlog in the NHS and that has been exacerbated by the pandemic, of course. Um, but I, I might just back up a little bit and tell you about the NHS visions for this. This is... Um, this is one of the most heavily invested social prescribing programs in the world here in the UK. And the vision for NHS England is, is, is to move away from this one size fits all healthcare system and to give people this choice and control over the mental and physical health in, in essence is what they're trying to do. And that links across different sectors. So us fitness and leisure industry is one sector. You know, they're already working with the Arts Council of England, for instance. People may want to go to um, enjoy some culture, arts and culture to for their health and well-being um, or be in a green space. So DEFRA, for instance, and uh, are, are working with uh, healthcare at the moment to, to bring people into green spaces, which, as we know, increases endorphins as having five minutes into in, in a green space. Um, and, and other community initiatives, and, it, and, and that's a really key word there is, is, is community as well, volunteer, voluntarily and um, sector. So really, it's, it's, uh, it's sort of, in some ways, it's stemming from a drive to take some of the pressure off the NHS. Precisely, yeah. 
It is. Um, and the aim is for 6 million people to benefit from this. Um, not just social prescribing, but what, what, what the umbrella term is called personalized care, right. um, including half a million people supported by a, a budget down the road as well. Um, as, you know, so there's really big um, plans and ambitions for for this. And, and the timing is just is, is almost okay. perfect, really, because it, of the support it needs. You mentioned a figure there of a number of people, because I what when I was thinking about this, I was thinking, all right, if you want to help the NHS and see a reduction on uh, the, the number, effectively, really, the number of patients um, or patient visits to the NHS. I then tried to work backwards and think, all right, if you want to get, say, I don't know, 100,000 less patient visits uh, to the NHS a year, and that seemed like quite a lot to me, but actually, in the scope of the NHS, it might be quite small. I'm not really sure. Would that be enough to make a difference? I kind of, I thought, all right, it sounds like quite a lot. Maybe it is. Uh, yes. Short answer is yes. That, that, that small number would make a difference. It doesn't have to be a large percentage of people to deflect from the GP surgeries to have, a, um, have some impact. Right. At, at the moment, most of the, I think there's almost half of the uh, GP appointments prior to the pandemic anyway, were, were not necessarily needing a GP. Sure. And yeah, so, you know, if we can deflect a small percentage of that, then there's going to have an enormous effect. Now, we've got to be careful about being too ambitious as well about decreasing the uh, amount of GP uh, visits by 50% because <laughs> that's that's huge impact. The GPs won't that's be probably not realistic. Yeah. Not realistic. So, you know, exactly. There's, there's healthcare for a reason. Um, but, you know, the smaller, the biggest gains can be... Um, uh, when it comes to physical activity, for instance, or uh, is to getting people who are not moving at all, moving a little bit. And that's, yeah. that has huge gains if we're talking about small margins here. But yes, as far as the GPs um, and the backlog at the end, it, just, it, it, it wouldn't take much. Right. Just, well, I, I continued my sort of back of an envelope calculation. I thought, all right, if we're trying to stop um, 100,000 visits uh, patient visits to the NHS or GPs. Uh, all right. Say if people did more exercise uh, or not just exercise, maybe other things as well, painting or dancing or whatever it might be. And 10% of those visits or those um, people doing these, these new things resulted in one less visit to the NHS. That means you need a million people doing these new activities. And so I was thinking, I was just trying to scale it up and, I, I don't really know whether this is a sensible way to do it, you know, because I'm absolutely not a social scientist. But I came up with this figure of a million people that have to try something new. So I thought, all right, I'll ask Kenny if that's realistic. Absolutely. It's, you just got to give the, you know, industries like ours need to be given the right conditions. And we, we currently have millions of people hitting the chief medical officer guidelines per week anyway, right? Now our, ER, our spaces are open. Hopefully they will continue to stay open. But given the right conditions, we can do a lot more. And um, by 2030, we're, we're expecting an increase up to 5 million additional members through our spaces. Now, we would, we're aiming for those people to be people who are not usually engaging with these spaces. 
and who really could use the physical activity input. And, and it's not just physical activity. It could be a social environment for people, group exercise. It could be a place just to have a cup of coffee and a tea. Most of these places will have nice cafes. So um, it, could, it could be a point at which one meets for walking outside. So there's a lot of things that can be done in the, in the fitness and leisure industry, for instance, that could increase those numbers like you're just calculating, Mike. So, so the infrastructure exists um, to, to make this happen. It's already there. It, it, it's already there. We have thousands of spaces around the UK. We've right. got uh, a space in most communities. We're only about 20 minutes away from one of our members. And they are in the center of the communities. And we have tens of thousands of exercise professionals who are already speaking help. We've got space that is underutilized sometimes, sometimes during the week that could be used for rehab, prehab, getting people, which is getting people ready for surgery, for instance, or coming to dance, pushing the kid aside, um, and, and, and getting out the paintings um, and, and doing an art class. It could be as it could be as innovative as that. And there is already existing places that are dancing in our spaces. So, so I mean, there's a lot I'm of things thinking, to be So lot, lots of opportunity to fill up your members' gyms, uh, for sure. So which which is a good thing. But a, a, a lot of the uh, stuff that might be good for social prescribe from a social prescribing point of view um might be outside um you know so uh, rambling groups or running jogging groups that sort of thing and what what i'm thinking to get those going people often need a bit of a push or they might need a trainer or a or a suggestion or a little group to join something like that can can um uk active kind of help with that side of things as well so all of that is linked in. Yes, it's not just in our spaces, physical spaces. It is in the sports fields. It is running. It is park run, as you mentioned. It is getting involved in walking groups. And, and that's the beauty of social subscribing. If you go back to that, it's that conversation that people are having with a practitioner. So what works for me? Now, we have to just speak for a moment about that person needs to have like maslow's hierarchy of needs if you if you know you remember what that was from the physiological days it's a, someone needs to have their finances sorted out first and be safe and they're eating well and they're warm at home you know if that's not happening those are the some of the things that social prescribing does refer people to so they need to make sure that they have the financial help etc but once they hit that if there's a an interest in becoming more physically active or socially connected. That's where these activities come into play, you know, to give people choice to go to these dance um, group activity classes or, or, or walking groups. Uh, it could be chair based. It could be yoga, Pilates, Tai Chi, swimming, resistance exercise, whatever that, whatever works, falls prevention, you know, come together as a group who uh, to work with people who have um, balance difficulties so there's there's a numerous there's numerous activities that we someone could link into and that is in the community it's there just trying to link that all up sure no i get that so with, within the phrase social prescribing it kind of suggests that someone or something 
actually does the prescribing. So what what kind of provides the oomph, the push? So if, if someone actually could benefit from dancing on a Wednesday night or whatever it might be, how, how is it made to happen? Someone's got to give them that idea or tell them about it or take them there. How does that bit happen? In essence, at its core, there are link workers dotted around the country in, based in health, primary health care and GP surgeries in the community who are having these conversations with these people with complex problems. Right. However, the, the definition does widen to people self-referring, having the ability to go find something on their, uh, on their own. Um, it could be come from a health connector um, within the community. There are some communities around the UK, for instance, who have trained taxi drivers, people in the public to identify people who might need a little help and push them toward uh, that community service. It is growing from a link worker only because um, there's only so many of them and they only have so much time to, to extending into health coaches, health community navigators. There's a variety of roles out there. And then our personal trainers, of course, we found from a recent consultation that we've done are actually pushing people into the community for services that are outside of our spaces. So there's, some of our spaces are actually hosting link workers and talking about health in a complex way, more so than you would think in a gym or swimming pool. Okay, so certainly, uh, well, so I, I live in St. Albans and our, my local GP practice has volunteers. It has quite um, a thriving uh, group of volunteers that do exactly this. And, you know, that, that works quite well. Um, but obviously, you know, not everywhere can rely on volunteers. Different parts of the country will find it harder to get volunteers. I'm absolutely sure. So that, that was kind of my my interest because it's going to need quite a big oomph to get this thing moving everywhere. It, it is. And the, it's all about partnerships across the arts, health, sport, leisure, natural environment. It's about local community. It's about volunteering. It's about social enterprise. It is it's about the National Academy for Social Describing. And that is a new, relatively new entity that was developed, which is an arm's length body from the NHS, but it's an academy now dedicated to social prescribing in the last couple of years. And, and, and that's one of their roles as well as to dedicate the advancement of social prescribing through the, the promotion of, uh, of these community partnerships. And they're putting enormous amount of work into that, working with people like us um, and, and the NHS England to, to highlight the need for people to get involved um, sure. or, or, or point towards service that might help them. So a, a quite a, an important question. A lot of done, this is done with volunteers, um, but at some point there's gonna be some cash involved. Yeah. So who pays for these uh, six million more people to go to the gym or get involved with something because you know, a, a lot of the people that need this stuff might not be able to afford a gym membership or water, whatever it might be. So how is it made to happen? Because there's going to there's gonna be a cost to, to this somehow. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. It's always a good question. And, you know, the infrastructure that I've described in our link workers and health community connectors and um, health coaches is 
is an investment by NHS England at the moment. And that is their big ambitions to get that infrastructure, right? And they're really well on their way with that. Um, there are some things called personal health budgets at the moment, which unlock some money for people to, 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 to have choice and control over their health. There's only certain um, medical conditions that that's uh, applying to at the moment. Um, however, that is, there's ambitions to unlock those mechanisms, but really tricky at the moment because then it just is under a huge amount of pressure. Mm. So there are other mechanisms out there. So there's a lot of philanthropy. And what I mean by that, for instance, the fitness and leisure centers have announced just before the pandemic uh, rudely interrupted us, but we're getting back on track with this now. A half million hours free to people, um, to the social prescribing pathway, um, who for people who have complex problems and, and need that uh, or are ready for that on the behavior change scale to be more active. So, so there's some philanthropy there from our sector, for instance. Okay, and that, that sounds like grant, a pretty good start. I also need to get involved, Mike. Yeah. Uh, so like, the, 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 that five hundred thousand hours—that sounds yeah. like a you know quite a lot. But actually, I, I did think about it. Think, hang on a moment. Just supposing people go an hour a week, um, so you know, four hours a month. If the thing, if the scheme goes on for six months, that helps twenty thousand people. Now, that's a big number. That's a lot of people. But compared to the, to the population of the UK, I was thinking, okay, that's a bit of a drop in the ocean. It's gonna. I, I do realise that's just one component of it, but it's gonna need a lot more than that. Now. Should this investment happen, hopefully, further down the line, the NHS will have to spend less money on people that are ill. But um, I, I came away, I was thinking, you know, this is quite an uphill struggle to make this happen. Yeah, you're right. You know, you put that investment in now, you will have less people with long-term conditions. And people who do have long-term conditions like diabetes, obesity, will have less long-term conditions so they will convert to some a lot of people will convert to that second long-term condition because of inactivity um so yeah we put the investment into uh getting people more social more active um it, it will have a have an effect down the road and um yeah you're you know that that, that those hours that we are offering is something that we're used to offering tasters in the industry so we would like to do that and sort of demonstrate the impact of that. And then who knows what will happen down the road with unlocking um, commissioning models to, to look at how this might work. Okay. I think we have to, it's, it's not exactly the same, but it's definitely worth mentioning Park Run, I think, because that, that has been a fabulous success. And I've actually spent some time scribbling on the back of an envelope trying to figure out how much money Park Run has saved the NHS? Um, again, I'm not a social scientist, uh, but I would love to know the answer to that. I, I've, I've messed around with some figures, and very quickly you can come up with millions, you know, uh, and, uh, and I'm sure Park Run has saved the NHS millions, and it is, it's, a, it's a wonderful thing. And is there any tie up with uh, Park Run with you guys? There's a tie up with everything. Park Run's great, quite timely. It's easy to, to get to, but it's not for everybody. And it does have a certain cohort of people that do go. But um, it's, if anything in the community is something that, it, to give people choice and control over what they want to do for exercise or activity and be social. 
the benefit of parkour, I guess, is also it's quite social, isn't it? Mm. You know, oh, yeah. it's it, it, it is um, it's it's giving people what works for them. Now that's quite scary for some people if that's their first um, 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 experience with physical activity. I know people can walk parkour, um, but it's everything in the community, Mike. It is um, whatever that person. Um, or the link work is really there's a lot of skill involved with the or knowledge that's needed for the people who are having conversations with people with complex problems to identify where they can go. Um, and, 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 you know, one thing I would say, there's a lot of inequalities and that inequality gap has gotten wider um, over the pandemic and there is fewer people who are active. So we really need to... Um, address the, the behavioral aspect of this and look at what, how we can close these inequalities. And I feel that one thing we're doing is decreasing a barrier for people to become active. It's not the be all end all, and we're not the panacea by the way, but for someone to be a little bit more active in our spaces, if that's what they wanna do, that's, and we, they can do it free or under a healthcare pathway, then that is decreasing a barrier for inequalities. Okay, very good. So two, two questions to, to finish off with, uh, which are, are somewhat similar. If, if people are listening to this and uh, are kind of interested in getting involved, maybe as a, a volunteer. So, you know, this is going to need a big army of volunteers that maybe are attached to GP clinics or uh, to give people the idea, point them in a direction, hook them up with grants or, you know, whatever's required uh, and I can imagine that sort of thing might need a bit of training actually or or certainly if people want to find out how to go about doing it is there a way to do that a way for potential volunteers to get involved and help out yes definitely so what is it well there's a variety of ways I think um local volunteer if you, even if you do a simple search or lo local volunteering near me, or um, social enterprises near me, as it's basic. But you know, the National Academy for Social Prescribing is somewhere where can also that can give you some good information, and that's socialprescribingacademy.org.uk. Okay. That is a place where people can go little learn a little bit more about this and how they can get involved. Um, the local services, uh, local healthcare services, for instance. Um, you know, the GPs, if they're, they, you might want to talk to a link worker or health connector as well. There's volunteer opportunities in primary care. Right. Um, and then I suppose if anybody wants to know more about the fitness and leisure aspect of this, um, and then ukactive.com um, is where you can find more about the social prescribing work we're doing. Um, the, there's a, there's a variety of places. It's an emerging uh, movement, um, and not everybody has a full understanding of what social prescribing is. But it has different. It means different things for different people. Um, but get involved as much as you can. Or if you have an organization listening and you want to uh, be more philanthropic, there, there, there's there's ways for that as well. Okay, and um, and then the final question: if someone's listening and they're an individual and they're thinking, right, actually, I need to get more active more often. Um, and they 
you know, maybe they don't have the funds to join a gym or they don't want to join a gym. They might find it a bit threatening or what have you. And they want a nice, soft lead into being more active. What's, what's, what's the first thing they can do? Well, if able, walking is one of the easiest things to do. If walking is tricky, chair-based exercise is another great way to do that. Um, standing during your work day, standing right now whilst listening to this if you're sitting, um, those, those are simple things to do. One thing I will say, though, 150 minutes a week is what the chief medical officer would like us to do of moderate activity. Yeah. 75 minutes if you want to do it in a vigorous manner. Well, let's go back to 150. That can be broken up in 10-minute chunks throughout the week. And that is such that you're walking briskly, but you can still have a conversation. If you can get that in, you're doing a lot more than almost a third of the adults in the country who are not getting that in a, that kind of activity. But it, it could be gardening. Gardening is a, sim, is, a, is a good physical activity. You have to have the flexibility and you do get the heart rate up with that as well. So it could be, it's, it's whatever works for you. You know, if, if, you, if, you're, if you're already walking, jogging. If you're already jogging, running. If you're already running, maybe some hill sprinting. <laughs> you know, there you go. So there's this progression, but start, start um, realistically. What, that, that, that's all good advice. Actually, what I was really getting at was sort of um, if someone wants to get involved, how they can get hold of one of these volunteers that might have some suggestions for them. Okay, so I think I think your best place to start is the academy, National Academy for Social Prescribing. I right. think you're going to have you're going to have the package there of how you can link into your local community, apart from talking to the local volunteer and social enterprise um, community, um, and that could be anything from you know the um, uh, Richmond Group of Charities has a variety of. Uh, and the, the Richmond Group of Charities, by the way, is the 14 biggest charities in the land. And they will have um, a variety of, of ways you can volunteer. And it could be condition specific. So about Diabetes UK, for instance, mm-hmm. um, the Stroke, Stroke Association, for instance, they, they will have a variety of places to or ability to uh, volunteer. So it just requires you to do a little bit of research and see what interests you. Is it going door to door? Is it going um, in, in, in a community center? Is it, is it helping someone um, with, uh, with a conversation and social isolation? Um, or is it helping someone bring them to a gym right. for the first time? Yep. Okay, so look, lot, lots of ideas, lots of things that people can do. And I have to say, I, I find this whole thing very laudable indeed because, you know, well, just, just the strap line says it all, doesn't it, really? More, more people, more active. Uh, more often so and that, that, that's that's a really good objective and i think you know um uk plc will be a better place if we can all try and make that happen just a little bit just takes a little bit absolutely good but kenny thank you very much indeed for chatting pleasure pleasure mike thank you very much to my guests on this week's show and they were gp dr zoe williams and kenny butler from uk active and of course Thank you to you for listening. That was the Relaxed Act UK show with me, Mike Dill. Thank you for listening and please do join us again next time.